in our 40-day focus where all of our community groups are meeting, having discussion questions based on our five core values. So let me just give you, you'll see on those papers, two blanks. And I just want to give you those so that you have those. This will be the conversation that we will have uh, in our group meetings this week. Uh, today really uh, is an emphasis for us to understand what it is to truly submit to the Lord and submit to his, his family. And so we are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to the Lord's desires. So this is about true submission as we focus in on this this week. And I love the scripture, Romans 12, 5. We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. How many of you know the people in this room are part of your destiny? It's really important that we understand God's connected our lives, crossed our paths on purpose. Um, we do understand that God's family, and we are God's family. We are, uh, we are a group of dysfunctional, forgiven people. How many of you know that's true? Point to somebody who's dysfunctional. Go ahead, give them a point. Our mistakes are frequent, and our love is imperfect. Would you agree with that? Our love is imp- our mistakes are frequent. We're dysfunctional, forgiven people. Our, our mistakes are frequent. Our love is imperfect, but we are still the bride of Christ. And even in the church's imperfection, come on, our spiritual well-being is tied to our submission to God's family. It's an important thing for us to understand. And then ultimately, um, the final question on your, on your forum that we'll talk this week, you know, Jesus could have won up to everybody. Right? Anytime you get in a conversation with somebody, and have you ever been around somebody and they have a lot of travel experiences on, they could just one up everybody. And those people that do that aren't really that impressive. They're kind of put you off. But if you find somebody who could one up you and they actually are interested in you, then there's something unique about that. And that's the point that we want to make. Great relationships are not about having all the answers, great relationships are about asking right questions. Jesus could have one up everybody, but he's a man who's known, his life was marked by asking questions causing people to think. And so uh, you make more friends in, in two months by being interested in people than you will for your entire life by trying to get people interested in you. So that's the element of just building relationship. Your action point is to make a deeper connection this week. I wanted to take just a moment and make sure that we stay on course and stay on track with that um, as we're focusing in on some really important elements as a church family for us. So um, I hope you were able to be here yesterday. The place was packed for Saturday morning, three hours. Uh, It was just tremendous and uh, so excited about what God is doing. He's stirring a deeper passion in all of our hearts and lives. I said this yesterday as I introduced Pastor Steve Uppel, and I just want to reiterate it to you. But um, there are a lot of things I could say about this man and his his ministry and... um, nine campuses their church has in in the United Kingdom. In a couple of weeks, he'll stand before 17,000 people in another conference that he speaks at. I mean, there's incredible magnitude, an apostolic network, a lot of pastors looking to this individual as an apostle, apostolic voice. I could could go on and on because there's a lot of that. But I just want to tell you something maybe more significant and meaningful. This man loves God, is truly a man of prayer, truly a man of the Word, He loves his wife. They have an inspiring marriage relationship. They have four children. They all love Jesus. They all love each other. And they all serve the purposes of God in a way that brings great inspiration into my family's life. And so I want to ask if you would give a family welcome. Pastor Steve Uppel, as he comes, come on. All the way from Wolverhampton. Much. It's an 
absolute delight and joy uh, to be here in Oklahoma City and uh, to be with yourselves as the Destiny family. Um, I'm, I feel at home. Tim said to me earlier as we were going through worship, because I, I like here, it feels like home. And it really does. It, even though we're in other parts of the world, we're thousands of miles apart, the, the DNA, the love for God's presence, the focus on relationships, the focus on Jesus, the focus on walking this together, the authenticity, um, the lack of hype, and just the realness that's in your culture, I think it kind of weds us together by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm, I'm hugely honored to be with you uh, this weekend and have enjoyed uh, being with the Neesons in their home, suffering for Jesus in that little house. Um, uh, it's, it's been good. They've looked after myself and Tim. I'm traveling with Tim. Tim has been a friend since the early 90s and is also one of our campus leads back home. And so he's been good company for me uh, over the last two weeks that I've been, almost two weeks that I've been in America. Uh, and I also want to say thank you for releasing your pastor and his family, Pastor Tracy as well, uh, and the kids to come over to the UK. They have been a huge blessing to us. Uh, our lives have been enriched by what God has put inside of them. Um, our church has been enriched by that. Uh, the last time they were with us was in November, and we had a Leaders' Day. We do one four times a year, um, two days actually, the Friday and the Saturday, and then uh, Pastor Lawrence also spoke on the Sunday, but left such a deposit not only in our church family, but in the leaders that are connected to us around the country. So I think there's something very powerful when a church is less self-focused and thinks of ways of blessing the world outside of their own sphere. And so sending people, sending your best, letting them connect, letting them pour out what God's doing is so important in enriching other lives. I, I live with a conviction that God doesn't show everything to one person. He doesn't reveal everything to one church. So what he forces us to do is to get into relationship with other people. So in that relationship, we receive the fullness of what God has for us. We all know in part, see in part. So God says, walk together and you'll get a more complete picture. That's true for us as individuals, but it's even true for us as churches. And so you as a church and the journey you've been on has enriched our lives uh, in Wolverhampton. So thank you for releasing them. And uh, I'm looking forward to having them back uh, and being a, a blessing to us as well again. Are you happy you're here? Are you sure? <laughs> Amen. So I want to speak to you this morning. I'm really excited. My wife is watching, and I think my kids are watching this morning, so I'm glad that you stream. So I'm going to say, hello. <laughs> I've been away 11 or 12 days from home, and I've really missed my family. Uh, I don't normally do trips this long without uh, family, and so I have an achy heart. I was going to start singing a song about my achy, breaky heart, but I won't go there. Uh, it's actually been a delight to be with you. And I, I want to share a word with you this uh, uh, morning uh, about contending for the fullness of your destiny. 
you could title it Contending for the Fullness of Your Destiny. You could title it uh, Fighting for the Fullness. Um, and where I'm going to start may not seem like I'm going uh, where I just said I was going, but I'm going to go there. And we, we're going to go to the penultimate book of the Bible. That means that the, not the last book, the one before the last book, we're going to go right there and we're going to look at the first two verses and the last two verses. Uh, it's the, book, the book of Jude is just one chapter. Uh, in most Bibles, it's just one leaf, one page. It's a short little book. And, and this is how Jude begins this book. And I want you to spot this morning three words as I start to read these first two verses. Look for the word loved, look for the word called, and look for the word kept. Loved, called, kept. Verse 1. I, Jude, am a slave to Jesus Christ and a brother to James. I'm always challenged when I read that. I, Jude, am a slave to Jesus Christ. I want to be a slave to him. He has won me. He has bought me by his blood. And I willingly want to lay down my life to serve him. What a, what a way to begin a letter. It's not, I'm a Christian with rights. <laughs> I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a brother to James. And I'm writing to those who are loved by God the Father, called and kept safe by Jesus Christ. Relax. Everything's going to be all right. Rest. Everything's coming together. Open your hearts. Love is on the way. That's a good word. That's a really good word. Here's what he says. I am writing to those who are loved by God, called and kept safe by Jesus Christ. Relax. Everything's going to be all right. Rest. Everything is coming together. Open your hearts. Love is on the way. I want to declare to you as the Destiny family this morning that you are loved, you are called, and you are kept. You are loved this morning. You are called this morning. You are kept this morning. God loves you. He calls you, and He keeps you. So powerful, really. Uh, I, I'm not as clever a wordsmith as your pastor. We're kind of sitting there, me and Tim are like, wow, that's so cool, the way he gets those phrases together. And it's a wordsmith. That's a great gift to have. I, I, so I'm going to go back and try and work on a, that gift that he has, maybe get him to lay hands on me. But I tell you, the truth of this is really powerful. Without any clever crafting, you are loved this morning. You are called by God this morning, and you are kept by God this morning. Loved, called, and kept. You are loved, you are called, and you are kept. Uh, uh, let's go to loved. Romans 8, 35, 37 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness? Danger, sword, verse 37 tells us, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, this love is insurmountable. It's a powerful love. It's an enduring love. Whatever you go through, nothing separates you from God's love. God doesn't love. God is love. It's not that he, he does a lot of things, and one of the things that he does is he loves people. No, he's, you, you, if you could look right through him, at his very essence, he is love. And Jude begins this book as he writes to the church, and he's saying, you are loved by God. I think there's a deep ache in everybody's heart to want to be loved and to experience love. And to live in the reality of God's love, I, I believe, is one of our greatest privileges. You live in the experience of that love. It's not just a mental acknowledgement that I am loved. It's living in the experience of that love. And then secondly, he says that you are called. You are called. Let me just go back to that experience. Do you live in the experience of God's love every day? I want to encourage you. Uh, George Muller used to say, he said, after 34 years of being a Christian, the most important thing I've learned is to make myself happy in the Lord every morning. Before he started every day, he would say, I make myself happy in the Lord. And you do that by living in the experience of his love. When Jesus said in John 15, abide in me, live in me, let my love live in you. Let my, he's really saying, come into the experiential relationship of love with me. Verse 9, he says, I have loved you as my father has loved me. As the father loves me, I love you. Now remain in that love. It's an intimate experience, not just something we know in our minds. You, uh, as, as his bride, as a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, are invited to live in that love every day. Jesus lived in that love every day. The apostles lived in that reality every day. I, life becomes a chore if you only decide to live it by rules and regulations and not in the experience of God's love. This is primarily an experiential relationship. It's like, come close, let's walk this. As my Father loved me, so have I loved you. Now live in that love. Live in the reality of it. Live in the experience of it. And you might say, well, I don't know that love. You can do today before you leave. His love is here because He's here. Even right now, wherever you are, if you just open your heart and say, well, I, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, or maybe I'm not, but if you open up your heart, even where you are right now, and say, I want that experience of your love, I believe the Holy Spirit will meet you right in your seat where you are. He'll open up your heart, and you'll start to feel the warmth of His presence come. And He can love. I, I love being loved by my wife. I love my children loving on me. I, 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 I lead a great church family back home, the All Nations family. I love the love that I receive from them. But nothing, my wife's love, my kids' love, my church family and my friends, nothing compares to the experience of God's love. 
And he's saying, come. Jude is saying, you are loved by God. The greatest, most powerful, eternal being in the universe. The one who at his very core is love. Today, he loves you. Live in the reality of that. Jude is just underlining it. You are loved by God. And then he says, you are called by God. In February last year, about 11 months ago, uh, I was doing my email and I realized I had an email come through. And it was an invitation. I read the invitation and it said, you are invited. And, it, and the invitation was from Teresa May. If you know anything about anything, uh, Theresa May is our Prime Minister in the United Kingdom. So I have this email inviting me to a reception tea at 10 Downing Street uh, uh, the last kind of week in February. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, yeah, right. And so I hit delete on it and it just goes into my trash uh, because I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's spam. Somebody's trying to spam me. And I'm, I'm sure once I click the RSVP and reply, it's going to say, well, would you please fill in your bank details or something like that? And so I delete the email. Uh, but three or four days later, I'm thinking, what if it was real? What if she really was calling for me to go to 10 Downing Street? Uh, it was an invitation for me and my wife. So I pulled it back out of my trash folder. I sent it to one of my team, uh, 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 one of my leadership team, and said, obviously this is spam, um, but would you have a look at it, see what you think? And uh, he emailed me back. He said, actually, the email address that you're supposed to reply to is the same email address as on the events page of the 10 Downing Street website. So I'm like, hmm, okay. So I hit reply on it. And I get a few more instructions, and they do some security checks through the email, and you get to send your passport kind of details and follow the security protocol. And on the day, we get to, we get to Downing Street, and it's all gated outside. And I'm still thinking, as I'm walking up to the gate, we're dressed smart, Esther and myself, we've traveled all the way to London, and I'm still thinking, I know, when I get to that police officer, and I show him my email printout, uh, he's going to say, what? reception. Who are you? Steve who? And uh, so I'm still thinking this inside. Uh, but you know, w we got there and I was on the clipboard. I was on the list. I got invited in and we had like just over two hours in 10 Downing Street at a reception hosted by the Prime Minister. And uh, we, we had a selfie taken outside of 10 Downing Street because that front door is really famous. There was something about being called by the Prime Minister that made me feel important. I just felt like the Prime Minister of our country uh, has invited me. I've been called by her or her office to come and attend something here. Jude is saying, you are loved by God and you are called by Christ Jesus. N not, a, not a political leader, not a king or a queen, but the God of the universe calls you. And he says, come. I want you near me. I called you into relationship with me. I called you into an adventure. I've written your story. You heard me say, yes, I've written your story, and I invite you into this great adventure. And I, I, that is absolutely mind-blowing, that God not only loves us, but he wants us near himself. 
He calls us to himself. He says, I love you and I call you. In Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. It's the Lord saying, not only do I love you, but I call you. Come on. I want you near me. I want you involved in my purpose. I want you involved in my plan. I had you born for such a time, and I choose you. I call you. I want you near me. So many of us kind of drift through life, but if you would know that you are loved and that you are called, it removes so much uncertainty. It removes so much kind of the fragileness of our lives, and it roots us deeply that God loves me. God called me. And then Jude says, and he's the one who keeps you. He loves you, he calls you, and he keeps you. Philippians 1.6 being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on till completion, until the day of Jesus Christ. I was five years old when I gave my life to Christ. I remember, I still remember it, five years old, I'd been sent to bed for something I'd done wrong early. And uh, I'm kneeling by the side of the bed. I'm in the bed and I could, anybody ever done this? You put your head down and you can hear your heart beating. At five years old, I didn't know it was my heart. And I was imagining these men coming to get me. And when I sat up, the footsteps stopped. When I put my head down, the footsteps started. So I imagine, I'm, in, I'm five years old, I'm kind of panicking. And I remember my dad having told me all these truths about Jesus Christ. And I remember slipping out of that bed and just kneeling down and inviting Jesus into my life as a five-year-old. And just committing my life to him. Just five years old. Didn't really know what I was doing. But how do you know, when you surrender your life to him, he keeps you. He sustains you. You don't have to sustain yourself and keep yourself. He sustains you. And Jude is starting his letter with these powerful truths. God loves you, calls you, and he's the one that sustains you every single day. It's not, it's not your own strength that sustains you. It's not your own willpower that sustains you. It's leaning into his strength and his grace that keeps you going every single day. So you are loved, you are called, and you are kept. And then you fast forward to the last two verses of the book of Jude. And he says this right at the end. He says, and now to him who can keep you on your feet, standing tall in his bright presence, fresh and celebrating to our one God, our only Savior, Jesus Christ, our master, be glory, majesty, strength, and rule before all time and now and to the end of all time, yes. So not only does he sustain you today, not only did he sustain you yesterday, but he has the ability, and he's the one who keeps you standing tall and bright until the final day. I, the confidence that this should give you this morning, it, it, it should go off the chart. That the God Almighty, the creator of the universe, he loves you. He has called you. He loves you. I love my wife. I would do anything for her. I love my children. I would do anything for them. But God loves you this morning. 
His love for my wife and my children is far greater than my love for them. His love for you is far greater than anybody else's love. He says, I love you. I want you to hear this one more time because I don't think you get it. God loves you this morning. We have so many truths. This truth is the most profound truth that the creator of the universe is saying to Destiny Church this Sunday morning to every individual, to the church as a whole, I love you. I want you to live in the experience of that love. I want you to live in the reality of that love. And not only do I love you, but I call you close to myself. I want you. I love you. I'm not embarrassed of you. I'm not ashamed of you. I want you near me. I want you involved in my storyline. I make you worthy. I clean you up and I stand you on your feet. And I'm going to keep you standing, not only today and tomorrow, but I will keep you standing until the end. It's taken me about 20 minutes to get you to believe that. Because there are a thousand voices all around you and in your own head every single day trying to tell you you're not good enough. You would be loved if you would do this. You would be loved if you did that. He would call you if you would stop doing that silliness. And you can't make it. You know, you're going to make it for another week and then you know what you're like. You're going to fail. I, I break those voices in the name of Jesus. We silence the voice of the enemy. The voice that you listen to determines the life that you live. So you want to learn to listen to the voice of your father. And he says, I love you, I have called you, and I will keep you. Not only today, but to the end of time. I'm going to keep you standing. I'm going to present you to my father as a chaste bride. One that I love. One that doesn't need to be embarrassed. So what, what do you see? Do you see that? Do you see that you are loved, called, and kept? I'm just tilling the ground a little bit, the ground in your heart this morning. But you living in that reality may just be the most powerful thing that you do in the coming week or in the coming two weeks. or in the middle of this 40 days, you might just want to finish up the 40 days living in that reality. Make it one of your prayers. Lord, help me to know that I am loved by you. You're not embarrassed of me. You call me close. You keep me. What you see will determine the way that you live. How you see yourself will determine the confidence with which you live. I often pray this, Lord, help me to see myself like you see me. Help me to view my life like you view it. Help me to see what you see. I don't know if I said this to you the last time I was here. One of the most powerful prayers you can pray is, Lord, help me to see what you see. Help me to feel what you feel. And you can put any subject line in that, in that. Help me to see what you see about my wife Esther. Help me to feel what you feel about her. Help me to see what you see about my children. Help me to feel about them what you feel about them. Can I make a confession? There's been a few times that I've been a little bit agitated with my wife. Right now, I don't know why I would ever be agitated with such a beautiful person. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. I mean, why would I ever be agitated with her? But you know what I've learned to do sometimes when I'm not seeing correctly, I say, Lord, help me to see Esther as you see her. And help me to feel about her what you feel. Sometimes in church, there's stuff going on, and it's just like, or in your life group, and you can just say, Lord, in my community group, I don't know why they said that, why she did that. But help me to see them like you see them. Help me to feel about them what you feel. Isn't that a good prayer? One of the most powerful things to pray that prayer into 
Lord, help me to see Steve Upple like you see Steve Upple. And help me to feel about Steve Upple what you feel about Steve Upple. Because when you do that, you start realizing he thinks far more of you than you do of yourself. And so I, I, I prayed this yesterday. I just declare it over you. All shame to leave you in Jesus' name. All shame to come off you. All regret to go. The regret of the past, the shame of the past. I want to declare to you it's a new day. You are loved. You are called. You are kept. And He will keep you standing strong till the end. You will finish your race well in Jesus' name. Live in the confidence of that love. Live in the confidence of that calling. Live in the confidence of His keeping, sustaining grace upon your life. Okay, so I'm, I'm getting to the main point here. So if that's true, how do we live? Do we just kind of, like, like He said in verse 2, do we just relax? Everything's going to be all right? Get on with my life and... It's interesting what verse 3 says. So verse 3, he says this, Dear friends, having just told them that, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that once for all was entrusted to God's holy people. Or in the message version, it says, I have to write insisting, begging that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith. Somebody say, that sounds strange. You just told me I was loved, I was called, I was kept, and the end of the book tells me he's going to keep me standing on my feet. But verse 3 says, I am writing to you, insisting, begging, that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith. Does anybody else feel that that verse shouldn't fit in there? <laughs> You feel like, I'm just getting ready to hang out in His presence. I'm just getting ready to float in the river, to enjoy His glory. And Jude is saying, no, you are loved, you are called, you are kept, and He's going to keep you standing. But now get ready to fight. Now get ready to possess the promises. Now get ready to fight for the fullness of what God has for you, for your city, for your children, for your grandchildren. He loves you. He's called you. He's kept you. Now let that love, let that calling, and let that sustaining power give you such confidence that you are going to fight for the fullness of everything that He has for you. Somebody put it like this. When, when God promises that the church will be kept from defeat, His purpose is not that we lay down our sword and go to lunch, but that we pick up the sword of the Spirit and we look confidently to God for the strength to fight and win. You see, when you know you are loved, you are called, you are kept, it should inspire you with unshakable confidence that you can now walk into the fullness of what God has for you. But this isn't a passive fulfilling of our destiny. Everything God has for you has to be received. It has to be taken a hold of. It has to be possessed. In Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing, and forceful people lay hold of it. In the King James, it says, The kingdom of heaven is, suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. It's, a, it's an extremely kind of challenging scripture. Here's what happens. Everybody look at me. There's a clash of kingdoms taking place. 
God loves you. God has called you. God will keep you. But for you to press into the fullness of what God has for you, there is a kingdom of darkness that you have to come up against constantly. You come up against that kingdom of darkness and you establish the kingdom of God, His light. That's why Jude would say, I insist, I ask you, I urge you, fight with everything in you for the faith that has been given to you. This, there's no way that you can take ground as a family, in your marriage, in your job, in your calling, in whatever gift and ministry God has given to you. There's no way you can take and walk into the fullness without pushing back the borders of darkness. I, I know most of us just want somebody to lay hands on us and we do it. And we're like, well, if I'm loved, I'm called, I'm kept, maybe it should just happen. And God is saying, no, I want you to fight with everything in you to bring about the purpose of God. That's why Jesus would say, I only do what I see my Father doing. I live in obedience to Him. I do what He tells me to do. And even Jesus was resisted by the enemy, resisted by circumstances around Him, resisted by religious leaders of the day, but He forcefully advanced the kingdom. And it's a forceful advance for you to possess a hold of what God has for you. Your destiny, your marriage, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. You can impact the course of their lives right now with the confidence that God loves me. God has called me. God has kept me. And He'll keep me. So I'm going to pick up that sword of the Spirit. And I'm going to fight for the fullness of my destiny. I'm going to fight for the fullness of the promise. I'm going to take a hold of every promise that God has for me. And I'm holding on. And I'm going to say, God, bring everything to bear on earth that you have through my life. I'm going to be the gateway that you've called me to be. I want to see your purposes come. It's changing the posture of the church from a passive posture to one that says, well, if he loves me, he's called me, he's kept me, and he's going to keep me, he's on my side. It inspires a faith and a confidence to take a hold of everything that God has for me and for you. I believe we're in a season where God wants us to contend again. Contend. You've got to contend for the promises of God. You've got to contend for the story that God has written about your life for it to come to pass. It is not K-Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. That's a lie. Whatever will be, won't be. Whatever God has written, as you co-labor with Him, you can see it come to pass. Anybody in the room that says, I want to know what he's written for Oklahoma City. I want to know what he's written for America. I want to know what he's written for my time period in history. And I want to see it birthed on the earth. I would rather die possessing every promise than live a nice, comfortable life just sitting at ease. I guess this is the Sunday morning crowd and we need to pass out some more caffeine this morning. I believe we're contending for New Testament theology, New Testament lifestyle, New Testament power. We go back, we read the New Testament, and we say what they believed, I want to believe. What they held on to, the preeminence of Jesus, the reality of what he was saying, even though it went against the grain of the culture, I want to live in that reality. Uh, New Testament lifestyle, not necessarily the lifestyle of the world around us. Because you're going to be, and, but you, there's going to be this clash of kingdoms constantly, clash of kingdoms constantly. And you've got to decide, because He loves me, He's called me, and He keeps me, I'm going to keep pushing into what He has. You will have every opportunity to give up. 
you will have every opportunity to back off. You will have every opportunity to live in maintenance. People will say, you're crazy doing that. But I tell you, God's looking to you and he says, I love you. I've called you. I'm keeping you. Take a hold of my promise. Take a hold of what I put in your heart. Walk with confidence what I have for you. Possess everything that I've given to you. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't think, well, I've got about 20%, 40%. No, go for the fullness of what God has for you. Take a hold of everything. The devil is a liar, but God can be trusted this morning. We are in a war, and if the enemy could wipe you out, he would try. If he could get you sleepy, he would want you sleepy. If he could get you in a daze and you just live 20 years without really thinking what the Father wants, he would seek to do that. But this morning, wage war against the enemy. Wage war against the enemy. Say, no, we're going to possess the fullness of everything God has for us. Things need to be possessed, taken a hold of in Jesus' name. Just close your eyes with me for one minute. Father, I declare the kingdom of God to come into this room. I break every plan of the enemy right now. And I declare that your glory, your power would manifest in lives. Awaken people to your purpose today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Get that story. Live that story. I wrote down a few things that we contend for. We're contending for. I've said the three of them. New Testament theology, New Testament lifestyle, New Testament power. Anybody want New Testament power? Uh, we've got to stop complaining that we don't have it. We've got to get irritated that we don't live in it. And we're going to look to the Lord and say, you said... And make a demand on him. And I tell you, God loves it when people start speaking his word back to him. And he'll give them what they're believing for. I'm believing for the miraculous. I'm believing that as I'm preaching to you this morning, that people would have encounters with the Lord this morning in this room. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do that. I believe when I wake up in the morning, the kingdom of God in me is stronger than the darkness around me. I, I, I encourage you, start praying for the sick, believing for the miraculous, contend for the fullness. Nearly every great miracle worker I've ever read about in history, it's almost like the first hundred people or the first thousand people I ever prayed for didn't get healed. Anybody read those stories? But what they did, they contended for the fullness, they fought for the fullness, and the breakthrough comes. And it comes, and it comes, and it comes. And they push past a, a barricade that the enemy set up. The enemy doesn't want you to succeed. The good news is, greater is he that is in you than he who's in the world. The greater one lives inside of you. And if you would know that you are loved, you are called, you are kept, you would believe that and reach for the fullness of what God has for you. So I say to us, wake up this morning. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And the Lord is saying, wake up, wake up, possess the fullness. He has a plan that he wants made manifest on the earth. He has a plan for Oklahoma City. He has a plan for the United Kingdom. He has a plan for the United States. And he's looking for willing co-laborers that would have the confidence to know, God loves me, God has called me, God keeps me, but I'm going to push for the fullness. 
I'm going to fight for the fullness of my destiny. Lord, show me where you want me to be. Show me what you... I'm, I will not be passive anymore. If I could leave you with one thing, is the, the, that, that confidence of your identity, but also that there'll be a fight that would rise in you. Whether you say, I, I've only got 20 years left. I've only got 10 years left. I'm halfway through my life. I'm only a teenager. Whatever it might be that you say, I want to make sure that I make every day, every week, every month, every year count. I want to make what he has for my life birthed on the earth. And I don't want to be passive. I came across this little poem when I was 14 years old. It says, we have lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news. It's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. Well, if Christianity is simply about being nice, I'm not interested. What happened to radical Christianity that turned the world upside down? What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through the first century like wildfire? and was considered by those in power dangerous. What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, and who spoke the truth no matter what the consequence, who made the world uncomfortable, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? What happened to the kind of Christians who were filled with passion and gratitude, and who every day were enabled to get over the grace of God? I'm ready for a Christianity that ruins my life, captures my heart, makes me uncomfortable. I want to be filled with an astonishment that is so captivating that I'm considered wild and unpredictable and dangerous. I want to be dangerous to a dull, boring religion. Anybody else say, I want that in my life. Jesus died for us to be that way. I've got just a few minutes, and I've, I've used a lot of time up already. I'm going to give you four enemies that you need to destroy. You don't want these four enemies in your life, and I'll give them to you very quickly. The first one, you've got to destroy the enemy of passivity. When you're passive, you're in a state of being inactive, a lack of initiative. You procrastinate. You think, I'll get to it one day. Even though you are loved, you are called, and you are kept, and His sustaining grace is on you, you put it off for another day. You're like, oh, well, today's a busy day. I want to encourage you, do not be passive. Come against the enemy and the spirit of passivity. In Isaiah 62, 7 and 8, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem, and they will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. Give Him no rest till He establishes Jerusalem. And makes her the praise of the earth. He said he's looking for a people that won't be silent. They'll call out to him. They'll pray to him. They won't give him rest and they won't give themselves rest. But we're going to take a hold of what God has. Now, I, I, I get the flip side of that. We live in rest. We live as sons, daughters, accepted. We live in a place of rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And at the same time, we don't rest from what God has called us to do. And we give Him no rest in the way that we live and pray. And Isaiah 64 says, There's no one who calls on your name and nobody who's willing to stir themselves up to take a hold of you. Have you ever done that? Stir yourself up to take a hold of Him. There are times in, in, in your life, in your season, in the day, 
where there's going to be a passivity. You're going to think, well, we'll get to it tomorrow. Anybody ever felt that? And you've heard the phrase, tomorrow never comes. You've got to deal with the enemy of passivity. There's a group of people, the people of Ephraim, and in Psalm, 89, Psalm 78, 9, it says, Though they were fully armed, they turned back and fled when the day of battle came. I think it's a picture of the church today. Fully armed, God loves them, calls them, keeps them. His sustaining grace is on them till the end. And He's inviting them to help establish His kingdom. But we're turning back on the day of battle because we're passive. So let's destroy the enemy of passivity. And the way we do that, we take a hold of God's promise and we say, Lord, we want these promises to come to pass. He'll show you things in prayer. I, I, I can't even give you all the testimonies, but as we've been praying more, God is doing more through our praying more. It's God's way of getting things done. Number two, destroy the enemy of convenience. I'll give you a revelation. It is never convenient to serve God. It is never convenient to pray. It's, it's never convenient to do the righteous thing. It'll cost you to pray. It'll cost you to serve God. But we live in a culture that tries to make our lives as convenient as possible. And I guess that's okay when you're out for a meal or picking up some groceries or visiting your doctor or whatever it might be. That convenience is all around us, getting your car parked. And before you know it, though, you start living as though you only do the things that are convenient. We won't go there because it's not as convenient as going here. We won't do, do that because it's not as convenient. And we become a people that anything that's inconvenient, we don't want to do. Anybody with me? And, and serving God is not convenient. It goes against the grain most of the time. It's interesting when Jesus gave an invitation in Luke 14, 17 to 20, to a banquet, one person said, I've just bought a field. I've just bought some new land. It's not a good time. Thanks, but no thanks. Another one said, I've just bought some new oxen. I've got a new car. I'm going to try out the car. I can't be there. Another one says, I've just got married. It's not a good, good time for me right now. Another one says, uh, whatever their excuses were, they made them. These people replaced the promise of God, the invitation to His purpose, the invitation to the banquet, they were saying it's not convenient. And you know what God did? He replaced them with other people who would do what He wanted them to do. I don't want to be replaced. God will find a way through somebody to get His purpose done on the earth. I want to make sure that He doesn't have to look three or four times, but that when He's looking, that I'm like, I'm here. I'm your man. I'll do it. One of my heroes is Reinhard Bonnke, and he says this on a number of occasions. He said it publicly. He said, I wasn't God's first choice for what I did. God showed him. He was in one particular situation. He was God's second or third choice. And that other people weren't willing to pay the price to do what he was calling them to do. So he said, Lord, I might be your second choice, but I'll do a first-class job. And he also realized that when God calls you to do something and you say yes... It releases a, a new dimension of grace on your life to, for you to be able to do it. 
I, 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 I could go into that in big time, but I saw the grace on Reinhard Bonke's life increase and increase, his ability to articulate, his ability to preach, the wisdom and the anointing with which he lived. And I felt it was just simply, he kept saying, yes, 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 yes. And the Lord kept giving him grace, grace, grace. And there were other people who should have had that grace, but they said no. So the Lord takes the grace that was on their life to do that and puts it on his life. Anybody want more grace? Say yes when it's inconvenient. When he asks you to do something, say, okay. Uh, but settle in your heart that you'll destroy the enemy of convenience, that you don't want it in your life. Live a, a life, a principled life on God's Word. Number three, destroy the enemy of distraction. One of my sons, when he was very little, uh, I, I remember one day saying to him, Joel, would you go upstairs and get my watch? It's on my bedside. And I literally just said it to him. He ran out the room, and uh, I'm waiting downstairs for him to come back with my watch, and he never came back. So I'm like, I walk upstairs, and to get to my bedroom, he has to go past his bedroom, and outside his bedroom were some toys. And so as he runs up the stairs to go to my bedroom, he sees the toys, and he's there outside his bedroom playing with his toys. And I realize that the church does this. We start off with a focus of what God calls us to do. And somewhere along the way, we get distracted. We get distracted by a problem. We get distracted by a blessing. We get distracted by a delayed answer to a prayer. Whatever it might be, we've got to decide that we will not be distracted. We're going to destroy the enemy of distraction. It means having a clarity. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. We need to be people that are focused in on what God wants. And that's Proverbs 29, verse 18. Grip my vision. Stay focused. Strip everything away. Do not be distracted. Have a singleness of focus. And then lastly, I believe we're going to destroy the enemy of being lukewarm. We don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be fiery hot for Jesus. In Revelation chapter 3, he said to these people, Jesus is speaking this. I know your deeds, and you're not hot nor cold, and I wish you were one or the other. And because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. But you don't realize you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And I want to give you white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And I want to give you salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. I speak openly to like this. So be earnest, repent. Here I am, I stand at the door of your life and I knock. And if you hear me today, open the door, I'll come in and we'll fellowship together, eat together. And to him who overcomes, I will give the right to be with me on my throne just as I overcame sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Our lives are like the life of Christ. He lived his life with the kingdom of darkness opposed against him. But he lived it fiery hot in love with his father. And you function best out of love for the Lord. Lovers make the best workers. God is calling you into the most fiery love relationship. Saying, don't be in love with working for me. Be in love with me. And the work flows out of the love. 
So this morning, it's really, really simple. The same set of letters. Revelation 2, Jesus speaks to another church, a church of Ephesus. And he says to them, he said, I know all of your deeds, your hard work, you've been really good. Paraphrasing, he says, but I have one thing against you. You've forsaken your first love. Repent. Do the things you used to do. Fall in love with me. Be motivated by that love. Come back into deep relationship with me. And I want to give us a, a moment this morning to do that. So you are loved, you are called, you are kept. But you've got to contend for the fullness of every promise, the fullness of your destiny. You want to finish your race well. You want to finish your race well. You want to run with all of the energy that the Lord has given to you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And right where you are, just if you stay with me, two or three minutes, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come in a, in a greater dimension into this room and to start speaking, touching, and invading our hearts and our lives. Some of you, and I'm going to list a number of things as I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit, and I want you to respond in your own heart to the Lord. Some of you have been distracted. Some of you have decided to be passive. Some of you have been wounded because you think that shouldn't have happened, this should have happened. It's time to let it go. It's time to stay planted and to make sure you're going to be fruitful. I said yesterday, when, when we uproot and we try and plant somewhere else, which I found, having been in America 11 days and three different churches, I realized that it's such a common thing. It's common in the UK as well, where people just think, well, I don't like that anymore. I'm going to uproot. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to put my roots down there. And You weaken your life by doing that. But in the difficult time, if you stay rooted, your roots will go deeper. It might be painful, but that pain births strength. You become stronger when you go through trial, and you hold steady. We have an axiom, a proverb, just two words, hold steady. We use it all the time back home. Hold steady. Hold steady. Hold steady. Hold steady. Jesus did it. He held steady. Everything coming against him. The Lord is inviting you this morning to contend for the fullness of your destiny. You are loved. You are called. You are kept. And so, Father, I pray right now for every person in this room, as they turn their attention towards you, their heart towards you, I pray for supernatural encounters by the Holy Spirit right now. Right now. Shame leaves you. Resentment leaves you right now. Disappointment leaves right now. Regret leaves. And a new confidence starts to come in. You are loved. You are called. You're loved. You're called. You are kept by Him. You're here this morning because He wanted you here to hear this and to make sure you make right decisions moving forward. So I pray in the name of Jesus for a new grace in this 40-day prayer period, a new grace. And even if you haven't joined in the 40 days, right now, join in. Say, Lord, whatever's left now, 20 days and 12 days, whatever's left, there's only a few days left, but whatever days are left, I'm joining in, and I want to make sure I establish the fact that I am loved, called, and kept, and then I'm going to fight for the fullness of what you have for me. I will not be passive anymore. I will not wait for something else to happen. I'm going to take a hold of you. 
I'm going to take a hold of what you have for me. And by your grace, I will live my best in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you come and invade hearts and lives here? In Jesus' name. Amen.